was your final? It was epic, incredible, unbelievable, completely unexpected. It was pretty amazing. How was yours? Final was good. It was, I, I don't know, I'm not going to use the word epic. I'm going to use the word very good. It was unexpected. Yeah. Went the distance. On the ATP side of things, there have been 19 tournaments this year. 19 different winners. Roger Federer is looking to be the first person to have won more than one title this year. As it was, it's Dominic Team who wins the title. So, unexpected, very good. I think that's had sum up that final. Yeah, well, I can add to that with the WGA in that they've had 13 tournaments this year and 13 different winners on the WGA as well. Really? Yeah, so it's it I mean that's got to be the first time that's happened across men's and women's. I mean that's that is ridiculous. I mean so what's that? How's my maths in total? 22 tournaments is <laughs> No, 32. <laughs> 32 oh tournaments. My word. Sorry. <laughs> Look, my maths isn't good, but that was a terrible attempt at adding 19 and 13 together. <laughs> 32 tournaments, 32 different winners. Is that amazing? That's unbelievable, isn't it? So the big question, I can ask you this question because you won the predictions competition that we do for ATP Tennis Radio. Are we going to have yes. a 20th winner on the ATP tour or is someone going to get their second? Oh, uh, oh, that is interesting. I'm going to say that it's going to be another new one. Who? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really liking the way Raonic is playing. He hasn't won one this year, has he? I can't remember all of the tournaments. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, what I hear from people who are, um, have been playing on the courts, I hear that the courts are super slow because they're brand new. So all of the sand has not been worn down at all. They've just been laid and it's really heavy, muggy conditions. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that would suit it would suit a Djokovic a bit more. It would suit a couple of the slow players. What about Nishikori? I might put him in my picks. I just don't have enough confidence in Nishikuri that he will carry me through and himself <laughs> the whole tournament. I just I just don't know whether I have that confidence. A step too far. I just think I just I get very excited about Nishikuri and people say why. I get very excited that that this is the moment and he's and he's gonna come through and et cetera, et cetera. He's already won a title this year. He is one of those nineteen winners. But I just I just don't know when it comes to these big masters events whether whether the body is going to play ball for the whole tournament. So, but you could put as actually I need to ultimately beat you in this predictions competition, don't I? So you should put Nishikuri <laughs> for your predictions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I haven't. I've never won any of the predictions through the whole of last year. I don't think I even came close. <laughs> to any to winning any and I've kicked off this year strong I mean do you know what I didn't even pick Dominic team no one picked Dominic team and he won it isn't that amazing all I mean how many of us were picking and no one picked the winner isn't that incredible so hang on you didn't win any of the I think I won Monte Carlo last year I think that's the only one I won then it all went downhill so this is the first one you've won and you've already said that when you're on air with ATP Tennis Radio during my you're going to make a speech. And also, if you manage the Sunshine Double, you want a trophy. <laughs> you've gone from nowhere to wanting everything. I don't just want a trophy. I want a big chunk of glass ejecting up slowly from a plinth is what I want. That's what the winners get. That was bizarre. That For people who haven't seen the Indian Wells Trophy presentation, whether it be the WTO or the ATP side, please 
take a look. It's like it was Miles McLaggen. Some it's like the scene from Superman. Do you remember when it, I described this really badly? He goes to does he go to his home planet? Does he have a home planet? And they're in some kind of cave with lots of icicles. <laughs> <It's really fun. laughs> and then something is it the kryptonite? The green thing rises up. Yeah, and it's sort of glowing and suddenly appears. Do you, you see? You know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm saying yes, but I've not seen the film, so I'm lying. Have you not? No. Oh, okay. So then I haven't described it at all. <laughs> but I get what you mean. I can imagine it. I think he's on his home planet. If there is such a thing, and there's like icicles, and this green flashy thing rises up, and that's exactly the same as the Indian Wells Trophy. But it's 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 ridiculously heavy to the point where Dominic Team, you know, he's a big guy. He's a strong guy. He opted for cuddling it, cuddling it on the plinth because just lifting it, just, just you know, with trophies, you lift them over your head. And it's like a full on workout lifting that thing up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a massive chunk of glass. It is absolutely epic. I mean, it looks very pretty. It's quite snazzy as well. All these kind of star shaped bits and bobs. Yeah, Bianca Andreescu, when she won, she, she turned around to, to Tommy Haas and said, can I pick it up? And he just looked at her and said, sure. As in, like, give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> she tried and she couldn't. So she just stood next to it with a big, big grin. Yeah, she really tried to pick it up and she could not even get it to wobble. It was that <laughs> heavy. <laughs> she, and she just thought, ah, you know what, it's fine. I mean, how is she going to fly that home? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> that's, I think that's a case for excess packages. <laughs> it must be like 20 kilos or something like that. It's mad. Absolutely crazy. I very much like it though, but it's just, it's impossible to pick up, which is just a bit of a, a bit of an issue. The other thing about Bianca Andreescu was, was the hairband, the, the chat about the hairband that she was wearing. It was called a, a spiritual bracelet, a, an equalising band, a, a yoga bracelet. It was a hairband, right? I mean, what is wrong with people? It is, it is a plastic <laughs> spiral hairband that you can go and buy for 50p anywhere you want. <laughs> I've got one in my hair right now. They're just the kind of the modern hairbands. Oh, you've got one on your wrist. There you go. They're all over my house. Okay, she wears it above her elbow. It's obviously a little bit of a fashion statement, but people wear hair ties around their wrists as kind of you know bracelets or something like that. So it's I don't think it's something that is going to catch on or is going to particularly help your forehand <laughs> so no hang on a second is it is it a fashion statement or is it just because it's a bit of a nuisance around the wrist when you're playing so she sticks it up high on her arm I and mean, that's just what I thought she was doing. I mean I've got I've got three hairbands on my wrist at the moment I I always have them on because they are the most useful thing to have but I imagine if you're playing tennis you might want to just shuffle it up a bit further I just couldn't believe when I looked on social media and I hadn't been watching a lot of her matches because I was working as we know on the other side of things and all this chatter about what she wearing and what is it and she's like she just and she couldn't believe that everyone was talking about, you know, she's, she's, what was she, a wild card or a qualifier? Wild card. 18. She's through to the final. And everyone's asking her about what she was wearing on her wrist. I mean, it's, it's completely bizarre, but we, we can confirm it, it was a hairband. And then suddenly there are pictures all over Twitter of people and their wrists covered in hairbands. How many times do you think during the 10, 11 days of Indian Wells that, that Andreescu said, it's a hairband? <laughs> just over and over again it's like people either didn't listen or didn't believe her as I say I think the, the one thing I saw about it was someone thought it was like a, a spiritually balancing 
thing, a band, a band that helps her feel balanced or something. Oh, I mean, man, no, it's a bit I, of plastic. I didn't even know there were such things that I didn't know there were such things. There aren't. I tell you what, though, just at the beginning of the year, because you miss so much of the women's, you might have missed some of the the stats around Andreescu, which are just, I mean, it just mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. She was ranked 152 at the beginning of the year. 152, she's now up to 24. 24! It's only March. (laughs) And this time last year, she lost in the second round of a 25K in Japan. And actually, being completely honest, the back end of last year, you know, she was losing to, to players that I know quite well and are quite, you know, they've been in the top kind of between 150 and 300 for a really long time and and that's kind of their level and she was losing to to quite a few of those so absolutely no signs <laughs> that anything like this was going to happen apart from the fact that she was the number one in the world junior we all knew that she was going to be near the top of the game at some point but I still don't quite believe it and genuinely, I don't believe what I witnessed in the final of Indian Wells because it was one of the most extraordinary mental performances I've actually ever seen. And it was just, just outstanding. I mean, Kerber had broken her in the final set. She'd finally broken her. She'd broken the back of the mat. She'd got a grip of it. She was playing well and you just thought it's done. And then Andreescu calls her coach out. She was 3-2 down and she was kind of so desperate to win the match she said I want this so bad I want it so bad and uh, she just then went and was ridiculous and won played through cramp played through all sorts and as I say in terms of a mental performance it was just extraordinary so maybe this question can't be answered or maybe you've just answered it there you said no one saw this coming no one thought this was something that was going to happen especially with all those stats you've read out how on earth did this happen She's obviously got the game. Was it just adding in the belief and the mental side of things that took her through? Or was it something else? How, how does it happen that someone comes from literally nowhere to win one of the biggest titles on the tour? Well, what I meant was we, no one expected it to happen now because there was just no signs that she was ready to do it. She's only 18. I mean, she's still very young. We all knew that she had you know, phenomenal talent. I mean, anyone who saw her you know, playing in juniors, but we just figured that she was figuring things out in the challenges for a little while. She was still doing very well. She was inside the top 200 and she was moving up nicely. And I thought that probably this year she'd break 100 and then maybe the following year 50. <laughs> <laughs> no, just one one Indian Wells is in the race to the, the finals in Shenzhen at the end of the year that used to be in Singapore. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. She's beaten three top 10 players. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, and to be fair, I looked like a bit of a fool because before the Svitolina match, I actually said, look, she's been playing brilliantly. Don't get me wrong. This is, of course, incredible. But people are getting obviously very excited by her. And I was saying, well, just hang on a minute. She has had one top 10 win against Wozniacki. But but I saw that match. Wozniacki was was not great. She didn't start the year off very well. She's been a bit ill through this year as well. She was not at her best. So you do have to put a bit of an asterisk next to that. And then actually the other players, yes, she was winning semi-finals of tournaments. And, and she reached the final of, of Auckland where she lost to Yulia Gerges. And yes, she was winning some good quality matches and she was definitely playing at a top 20 level I thought right she's playing Svitolina here and Svitolina had been playing great through the tournament and I thought this is going to be a a big step up because for me I haven't seen her play well enough to beat a player of this caliber 
I mean, <laughs> I should not have said that <laughs> during the warm-up <laughs> because um, in the first three games, she was terrified and she didn't play very well at all. Uh, and she went three love down and I thought, yeah, this is just a little bit too far for her, which is absolutely fine. What a phenomenal tournament she's had. <laughs> and then she totally sorted it out. She won seven games in a row. It was absolutely crazy. But um, Svitolina did not play her best, got way too passive. And actually, Kerber did exactly the same thing. Both of them saw Andreescu getting tired and cramping and looking absolutely shattered. And they just dropped back, got the ball back. And she said, oh, no, actually, <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> and then was slamming winners all over the place. And it was really interesting. Both of them got sucked into the same thing. So, again, I mean, I mean, it's obviously it's, a, it's just an extraordinary achievement. And as I say, the mental performance was just outstanding. But it's interesting that both of them did that the same response yes they're both counter punches and it is their comfort zone but for both of them to do that was was yeah yeah so it'll be interesting to see how if that pattern continues through the year what I've been really impressed with those last few minutes of you talking was your memory because <laughs> you remembered things from the start of the year <laughs> and and remember before last week's podcast I thought you had this astounding memory of anything and everything that's ever happened and since you told me the truth that the memory is terrible so I'm just I'm just sitting here in awe of your sort of 2019 memory <laughs> well you should be I mean it's going well I'm working on it that's for sure. yeah I'm definitely working on it I'm, I'm, I'm trying to improve it so but how was your final because I was listening to you for the first set and the first set was done and obviously I'd done the women's final before and I was you know pretty exhausted from a long tournament listened to the first set thought yeah this is probably going as expected and then what happened oh so firstly you, d you didn't bother listening to the next two sets <laughs> uh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Um, Dom so Dominic, going into this match, they were they were two all in their head to head. But when it came to hard courts, uh, Federer was two and zero against team and hadn't dropped a set to team. And there was this other crazy stat. I think it was something like, <laughs> "Here's my memory." Federer had gone on to win when he'd won. The, he's on a roll of twenty consecutive titles when he's won the first set. You know, once he gets that lead, as you know with Federer, he pushes on. On, he moves on. So Dominic team, the first set, you thought, oh, okay, this is this is probably going to go this way, and Federer is going to pick up title number six, and there we go. But Dominic team, amazing in his first hard court Masters final, had the two in Madrid on the clay last year. He's finding his hard court feet. This is, Nicholas Massou is in his camp now, using Massou because he wanted to do what Massou did, which was take the the clay court game to the hard court when he won the Athens Olympics. Second set for team, lots of variety. Head didn't drop, moving Roger Federer around a little more, just adding variety into his game, whether it was the serve or the points he was constructing. And I think, again, with Dominic team, it was mentally how strong that he stayed, even into that deciding set. And the shots were getting bigger and bigger. I mean, so much spin that we, knows he put, that we know he puts on the ball. Uh, it, was it was an incredible performance for Dominic team to win the biggest title of his career against Roger Federer, who hadn't looked troubled. I know he had the walkover... Um, against Nadal but look he dropped he just dropped his serve once going into that final that was in his second round meeting with Peter Goyovchik he looked so good everything was going so the, the thing that get, I don't know if you had this head of your final but on our monitors in the commentary box when the players are coming they are golf buggied to Stadium One yeah <laughs> it's such a weird bit isn't it but the weirdest <laughs> thing about this is 
they come out and you know these days it's like they're going for a week away it's not just a couple of rackets it's a massive bag full of all sorts it might be a separate bag full of drinks and bits and pieces and then it's like 700 rackets right it's it's everything so they walk out and there's this shot of eight golf buggies eight golf buggies they get into one golf buggy so you get sort of Dominic team squished in the front trying to get him get himself in all his stuff Paul Roger Federer five-time champion hanging off the back of this golf buggy and they go at quite a pace swinging round corners you nearly lose the five-time champion on the way to stadium one court and you're thinking couldn't they've just had their own buggies making their way. <laughs> well, like, why? Why are they just squishing them both on a buggy? So that was with a tournament that is no. It's not short of money, and it's definitely not short of buggies. But completely moving away from the fight. No, excellent, Dominic team. Congratulations to him. No one had picked him. You wouldn't have picked him, would you? It's it's a hard court Masters final. When it comes to the clay, you're mixing things up and he's in amongst the predictions. But up until now, and a couple of people have already gone for him, I believe, in Miami to do the Sunshine Double. But he wouldn't he wouldn't have been your, your hardcore 1000 pick to win the title. No, um, that, that, absolutely not. I mean, no one picked him I mean, from, from our team anyway. And we're supposed to know what we're talking about. <laughs> Jury's still out on a, a few of the members. <laughs> of the team I think I was I was pretty low down in the predictions I don't think I was quite in the relegation field if we did have such a thing but no. it was uh, I was you were kind of uh, yeah I don't know it's probably the third section not not in the, not in the bottom section well I think the third section is the bottom section isn't it <laughs> Do you know what? There's room for improvement. I'm sure you'll do better in Miami. Thanks, boss. <laughs> I would have liked it. Going back to the buggies, I would have loved to have just seen them driving their own buggies. Just jump in. Off you go. Get yourself to the match. It's fine. Have a little race on the way. Oh, can you imagine racing it? You know, if, if they're driven. I was just surprised at the speed of the buggies because I've... Because in Indian Wells in the past when I, I do a little bit of running in the morning before matches started. I don't run very fast. And I, I nearly got run over by a couple of golf buggies. They can only have been going sort of five, ten miles an hour, like really slow. But these ones were going at some pace. When you think of their cargo, when you think of what they are carrying on that golf buggy, they do move at quite a pace. Yeah, and it's one of those things where actually players are quite used to getting the golf buggies around because there are quite a few tournaments where they would have to do that. I mean, I know we did it in New Haven, although there's no New Haven anymore. It's been, it's uh, the, well, there's no tournament there anymore. But we used to have um, the buggies because there was a really, really steep hill and no one wanted to walk up that to get to the courts all the time. But it's just odd that it's filmed. Because there's another buggy with cameras in it, filming people sitting in a golf buggy go- going for a ride. It's just, it's just a really odd bit of, um, I, I, yeah, I don't know whether it, is it theatre or I don't know. Maybe it's building the suspense. I don't know what it's supposed to be doing, but it's it, it's a bit bizarre. So you 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 are athletes, and you didn't want to walk up a steep hill to get to your tennis court. <laughs> yeah, because you'd have to do it over and over again, going to oh, practice, going to oh, matches. Dear. Oh, oh dear, this is this is terrible. <laughs> now we had we had a couple of walkovers actually in the latter stage of this tournament, but the big talking point was was Nadal withdrawing, getting the injury, getting the medical timeout, the knee, the right knee taped underneath the knee against Karen Hashinoff. And I think a large majority of the watching 
tennis public would have thought that the chances of him then coming out to face Federer were slim because Nadal doesn't call out the doctor any old time. When he calls out the doctor, you know there's a problem. Then there was the warm-up the next day that was only 15 minutes. It would have been meeting number 39 with Federer. Could not wait for it. All set to go. And then Nadal, probably, I mean, look, probably, Naomi, sensibly, for him... The clay court is fast approaching the clay court swing. That's where he's going to try and clean up everything. Why on earth take a risk if there is a problem? Yeah, and at this point, so much of it is about longevity. And he's talked a lot about his knees and playing on hard court and how difficult that is. We play a lot of tournaments on hard. And and he was saying that, you know, it's one of the only sports that requires this sort of physicality that you do on cement, which... Is a, it's a valid point. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, absolutely, it is a massive part of tennis. But I do kind of feel like with any sport, there are risks involved and you know what they are and you kind of sign up to them. And with tennis players, it's hips and knees, potentially back, potentially wrist. But really, you're almost guaranteed to finish your career with shoddy hips and knees. They will just be kind of ruined. And, and that is... That's what everybody's aware of. Everybody knows they're signing up to. That's probably the biggest risk factor because he was talking about quality of life and what his knees are going to be like when he's 45 and he's probably going to have to have new knees. But that is the risk of the sport. It's like if you become a boxer, you understand that you run a massive risk of brain injury and that can affect you later life. And it's up to you whether you want to take that risk. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, it's it's the same in, in all sports, really. I mean, I think it's cycling, doing kind of the the Tour de France, which is the most life-shortening of sports. So they're all, you know, I mean, athletes are well aware of what they're signing up for. And for me, this is just another thing that you're signing up for. You, you, You can't take away all of the risk. I can understand in sports like American football and in rugby... Uh, and in boxing, where they're they're trying to mitigate the risk of brain injuries, because of course that is incredibly severe. But I kind of feel like it's what you're signing up for. I mean, we've always played on hard court. They are actually quite well cushioned. Yes, they are cement, but it's layers of them. And they're actually much better for you than, say, a tarmac court, for example. Um, There is a little bit of give. But of course, it is a massive factor as to why people's knees and hips get ruined but I can't think of any sport where there isn't a risk factor you're ultimately doing repetitive movements to such an extreme and so excessively your body is going to suffer and and I feel like I mean look I can understand what he's saying and it's very frustrating for him he would love to just be playing on clay and grass the whole time because his knees are particularly bad because of the way that he plays but it's like with Andy with the hip you know you're in your 30s this is what happens. Yeah, and with Nadal, the, the weakness, the weakness, it's it is his knees. He's got the tendonitis, and both of them he's had it for a long time. He's got to manage himself, and he talks a lot about he would like more tournaments on on different surfaces. But this is the way it is on the hard courts. And some people are saying that he should have played, but he's got to protect himself. He's in the sort of twilight of his career, <laughs> if I can call him that. And the knees are bad, and it's something he's got to look out for and look after. And he's one of those people. He's not going to go on if he's not going to be at a hundred percent. And you're not going to go into a match with Roger Federer if you. You don't think you can move. I mean, they just it would. I guess would people have rather he pulled out or turned up and not really done anything? Because that's the other thing he could have done. Yeah. Well, now you've, we've got this whole debate kicking off of 
should Karen Hashinov been allowed to play Federer and progress forward? Because we have the whole lucky loser situation with qualifying in the main draw, but we don't have that as the tournament progresses, which is just something that I could not even imagine bringing in. I, I can't imagine how difficult and complicated that would be. And it's... Yeah, I, I I wouldn't know. I mean, for sure he should have pulled out. I mean, he he could bet he, he was he couldn't push off of his leg when he was playing against Hashanov, right? I mean, it looked quite bad from what I saw. I mean, I didn't see that entire match against Hashanov, but it it was uh, it yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty bad. It, it no, it, it was really bad. And look, when when he calls a medical timeout and he has strapping under the right knee, it, it's a really bad sign. He he's not doing it to to have a break or to try and sort of get his partner to think oh he's not quite right he does it because there's a problem and the next day he only trained he only warmed up for 15 minutes and had a 10 minute chat with his team and I think at that point despite word going round to people that he'd be fine I think you know if we if we were betting people and I'm not because I'd have lost an awful lot of money over the years then I think we would have gone for the fact that he was not going to play and he turned around and said look I'm I'm not going to play Miami. I, I should be fine for Monte Carlo. But I see, I'm of the thinking, surely the, the, there must be a way of doing something. So in the end, an, an exhibition match was staged in its place. And you had Novak Djokovic playing with his idol, Pete Sampras, against Tommy Haas, former player and tournament director, and John McEnroe. But is, is there not a way of, if you can have lucky losers at the early stage. So Kevin Anderson pulled out the start of Indian Wells and Mia Mirkekmanovic, lucky loser, took his place. Then... Surely Karen Hashinov is still there. He's just lost. He would be the next one in line. He comes in and, and plays Roger Federer, doesn't isn't that isn't that just straightforward? Well, I mean it, it sounds straightforward, that's for sure, but what about the other people who lost in that round? Do, so you have to have lost to that person. So with the lucky losers from qualifying, anybody who lost in the last round, doesn't matter who you lost to, gets put into a pool and then one player will then go and and take um and take the lucky loser spot. But with this you know, well then other people can look at Hashinov and say, well, you were the one who played against Nadal, but we lost to other people. Yeah, it just becomes really complicated because why just because you lost to that person should you be the one that goes through? Because it's not just because, okay, so somebody else lost to Federer in that round and would you take all of the people who lost in that round, put them in a pool and then either and then pick somebody out of that pool because that is a much fairer way to do it. Or I, I don't know. I think it's very difficult. But look, I've been the player where my opponent has been playing a match and towards the end of the match, it is very apparent that they are not going to be able to play the next round. But they're already a set and a break up because I've been rubbish. So <laughs> I'm having a horror. Uh, this happened to me actually against uh, Elena Baltacha, who's a really good friend of mine. And we played down in Eastbourne. I was playing awfully. I did not deserve to win the match in any way. So I didn't feel that bad about it, to be honest. <laughs> it was so windy. Oh, man, I hated the wind. Anyway, so towards the end of the match, she was having loads of treatment on her back. She was really, really struggling, but she could basically still serve quite well. And her serve was really, really good. And I was just, as I say... Not at my best. <laughs> and after the match, I felt a little bit miffed because she pretty much walked off the court, went to the physio and then pulled out of the tournament and went home. And obviously her match was not till the next day. There was just no way she could play the next match. She had Wimbledon coming up. It was just never going to happen. So I felt a little bit like, oh, 
come on. We could have, you could have just, if you, you knew in the match you weren't going to be able to play tomorrow. So you could have just pulled out, but then, you know, they don't get the points or the, it would have had to have been an incredible gesture of goodwill, I think, which is maybe a little bit of a high expectation. But yeah, a little bit, I was like, oh, well, that's annoying. But um, so I, I can understand that it's disappointing for the tournament. But also, I think people are acting as if this happens all the time. Yes, it does happen quite often with Nadal on hard courts. That is, you know, when I say quite often, I mean, it happened at the O2. It happened here. And we have, you know, we, we will see that from him a couple of times a year. It's still not that often. It's not as often as people think. I mean, when it happens, it feels like a really, really big deal. But it's not, a, it, it, for me, it just doesn't happen often enough to warrant changing rules. I think though, for on Karen Hashinoff's part people would have said look he had opportunities to close out he had set points and he went down in straight sets to Nadal he had set point opportunities and people have said well he he saw Nadal wasn't quite Nadal it was up to Karen Hashinoff I just if it doesn't happen that often I therefore I, I understand what you mean in, in the first round they all go into a pot and someone comes out and there we go because they've all got to the same stage in qualifying haven't they they've they've all lost in the final round of qualifying so you go into a pot but I think at this stage Karen Hashinoff has earned it because he's made his way through to that match to face Nadal and it was against Hashinoff that Nadal got the injury felt the knee and couldn't progress yeah but he got beaten that's the thing is he got beaten in the tournament and just because somebody else got beaten by Federer it doesn't make any different so for me the only way you would do it is if you put the whole round into a pool it's not it's not for the person who lost to Nadal to get put through they lost just like everybody else lost in that round and I don't I personally don't think there's any difference in that it's as I say it's a shame for the tournament but anyway I don't even know why I'm speculating about it because I don't want it to happen I think it's a crazy (laughs) thing to do I don't think it happens very often and it's it is a shame for the tournament and they have to react um you know they responded with it quite nicely and and it is a difficulty in tennis Uh, we have many difficulties when it comes to selling tickets and the entertainment that we provide one is that you can't guarantee the match going ahead and, and two, you can't guarantee that it's going to even last an hour. Well, looking at Rafa Nadal, I've got here his record on hard court since 2017. And, and Steph Trudell, who's a master of stats, put this all together. Um, Davis Cup withdrew, Basel withdrew, Paris walkover, London walkover, Brisbane withdrew, Australian Open retired, Acapulco withdrew, Indian Wells withdrew, Miami withdrew, Toronto champion, Cincinnati withdrew, US Open retired, Beijing withdrew, Shanghai withdrew, Paris withdrew, London withdrew, Brisbane withdrew, <laughs> Australian Open finalists, Acapulco second round, he lost to Nick Kyrgios, had match points though, didn't he? Indian Wells, a walkover. I mean, it's 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 astonishing that record for him, but look, he knows his knees better than anyone else and the clay is coming. Can I also just say that maybe on a slightly different level, I've been slightly injured of late. Um, I think I'm definitely going to make it to Miami. <laughs> so we don't have, <laughs> we're not going to get a withdrawal at, at this late stage. How severe is it? Are you, are you limping? Is it, is it a leg injury? It was a very weird one. I think it was a, a foot injury. And I think I may have told a few people that I'd broken my foot. <laughs> and I think, I think they could have been. Right. <laughs> I think there might, there, there might have been a slight exaggeration there. Um, it's one of those th- weird things. I don't know, maybe people can relate to this. I'm not sure 
how I did it. So I have been going to the gym, and but I, I, there was never one moment when I went, ow, that really hurt. It just sort of appeared and walking was really painful, which is hence, I think, the broken foot comments. You then tell, I came to you for advice thinking if someone's going to know how to get me through this, it's going to be Naomi. You said ice. Yes. And a little similar to when I was telling you to go to the doctor and you were sort of saying yes, but no. <laughs> I can confirm, I like to be honest with you. I think we can only do this podcast if we're honest with each other, that, that not an ice cube has been near my foot. I just, well, not an ice cube, but... Yeah, but it's very different to the doctor situation. How because, is it different? Because icing is, everybody listening, I know everybody says ice all the time, but genuinely it is the most effective thing you can do for an injury. It's more effective than, I mean, painkillers are obviously good in the short term, but in terms of healing any sort of injury, it is the best thing you can possibly do. Look, if you've got a broken bone... Ice ain't going to cut it. But in terms of a more minor injury, any sort of tendonitis, inflammation, soreness, bruised bone, you need to get the blood flowing to the area so that the blood can help heal it, bring the oxygen, take all of the toxins away and the lactic acid and the swelling and the fluids. Icing is the best possible thing you can do. Going to the doctor when I have a really bad cough for three weeks, not helpful. They're not going to be able to do anything. They could have written you a prescription, given you some hard drugs. You could have taken those drugs and then we wouldn't have had you moaning for five weeks about being ill. <laughs> we would have, every, time, every time I spoke to you, like, oh, not well. Oh, not well. Oh, really not well. You could have gone to the doctor. I just told a handful of people my foot was broken, <laughs> which, which now I'm realising you classed my foot injury as a minor injury. <laughs> it is a minor injury. It's not broken. Well... No, I think it, 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 it was weird. It, it, it went as easily as it came. Right. It went, it, it sort of disappeared. And I was told, I had a chat with someone else after I was just getting a lot of ice from you that, um, as in put ice on it, that sometimes if you just rest it, things can settle. Uh, so it might happen again. But you know what, you know what I put it down to? <laughs> you know what I have run out of recently? Green smoothies. No, I, I haven't made those for a while. Uh, um, my well-teen vitamins so you laughed you laughed when by accident I picked up the well-teen box 13 was it 13 to 17 years of age helps you study and I felt that my preparation for Indian Wells was was really on point Um, it, it, it helps you do sport or work out or exercise and I thought that was going really well what was the other thing so hopefully it wasn't help with memory loss or memory because I can't actually remember what the third thing was. But so everything was going along really well. I finished my well-teen vitamins. I then cannot consciously go back to the shop and buy them because I can't consciously pick up a packet well, of vitamins. go and buy the right ones then. Go and buy adult well, ones. <laughs> maybe... maybe <laughs> maybe I need the well-teen vitamins maybe there was something about that they are a lot cheaper it's a lot cheaper I've discovered to buy vitamins oh wow they're about a quarter of the price as a 13 year old it's it's very cheap to buy vitamins when you get to my ripe old age they're charging you all sorts because they're convinced that as you get older that you're going to be worried about everything and everything's gonna be falling to pieces and you've got to do more maintenance so they can charge you anything for vitamins when you're old but when you're young it's really really cheap but I, I, I just don't feel I can consciously go and buy well more well teen vitamins but maybe it's due to a lack of them that I that I had the had the injury perhaps. mystery solved 
Mm. So, well, you need to get back. Well, if it's, it's gone away, though, hasn't it? So you're fine. Yes. So maybe you don't need them. Well, well, yeah. Well, I haven't really done anything on it, though. I've been, I haven't iced it, but I have, I have rested it. Um, so we'll, um, so hopefully it won't, um, you can keep an eye on it. In Miami, if it comes back, I give you permission to go and find some ice from somewhere and just shove it on my foot. Okay, we'll do that. Okay, okay. Rest, ice and elevation. Rest, ice and elevation. That and compression, good. if you can. Oh, all I was going to do was send you to the doctor. You've given <laughs> you've given me a list of about four things. I have a question. I know we have to go soon, but I have a question from Nat. It's coming via Instagram. Oh, hello, Nat. Hello, Nat. Question for Naomi. Do coaches take a course called Poker Face One-on-One? Because I could never, and I totally agree with Nat here, I could never keep a straight face if my player was making some terrible errors. How are they not face-palming the whole time. Ah, <laughs> well, it is impressive, isn't it? Some are much easier to read than others. I think some get quite emotional, but it's it's one of the main parts of being a coach. Your players going on this emotional roller coaster ride, and you, of course, are doing it internally, but you just, you're there to kind of ground them. You know, when players look at their coaches all the time, they're not necessarily looking for information. They're almost looking for reassurance and just a bit of focus. It's like when players look at their strings, it's just a focus to have. And you can just focus on somebody, something that you know, and you know they're on your side and that they're supporting you. And it just helps give you that little bit of reassurance. But it is a very difficult thing to do as a coach it's much easier when the player is young because you can just you get so wrapped up in the long term and you're thinking well you know even if she loses this match even if she messes it up big time it's a good lesson to learn and you're always thinking about lessons to learn lessons to learn when you start getting into kind of your late 20s and you're at the peak of your career and you're just really trying to pick up titles or you're trying to pick up wins as much as you can then of course it becomes a little more kind of, okay, just just win. I don't really care how. <laughs> just <laughs> get over the line. But it's, um, it's a, yeah, it's a really difficult thing to do, but coaches are really well practiced. I mean, I mean, normally coaches will start working with juniors and juniors very often have no control over their emotions. So you have to be incredibly consistent, quite stoic at the side of the court. Otherwise, they're just going to react to what you do even more. Could you also be worried as a coach that you might get fired if if you did start face palming at the side of the court or your player was just having a little bit of a shocker that they might not take too kindly, that the person they were paying to help them is looking on as if to say, what on earth are you doing? Yes, uh, I, it's definitely, I mean, how you act during matches is really important. And it was Danielle Collins, actually, who called her coach on and said, um, have I done something wrong? Because you guys aren't supporting me. And they said, no, 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 we're shouting for you all the time. So, you know, people want that sort of support. And and, and Collins has come from a, a, a collegiate system with a team and a bench that are very, very loud and vocal. So she's used to that and she'd thrive off of that. So you can kind of understand that. But it was really funny when her coach came on and she said, have I done something wrong? <laughs> have I upset everybody? Like, what's going on? <laughs> it was just, it was really quite funny. Wasn't there... Wasn't there a recent um, uh, Dmitry Tursunov Arena 
Zabalenka where they didn't speak at all. He came on. So I, I assume, did she call him on only to... Well, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but it was unbelievable. It was hilarious. Yeah, so it was Sabalenka who called on her coach, Dmitry Tersnov, and there was definitely tension. He had no poker face at the side of the court. She wasn't playing well. And when Sabalenka doesn't play well... It's it can be it can be pretty rough. She's got, she's a big hitter, big strong game, and he, so she calls him on. He reluctantly comes on. I'm not even sure why he came on, because are you allowed to refuse as a coach? This was the conversation we were happening. Can you just say no? Can you sit there and say no? I'm not coming on. I, I, I think you I think you probably can. I'm not sure how that will do for your relationship going forwards. If effectively your boss is saying I need you, and you're saying I'm not coming on. Because they they obviously want you for some reason, whether it's just someone to sit alongside and say nothing or to tell them how to get out of their hole. I I, I feel like it's happened before. Didn't it happen with Simona Halep and Darren Cahill? I'm not sure. Well, this one, just to finish off this one, we had one coaching exchange where he came on and just didn't say anything. Just, just crouched down quite far away from her and nobody said anything. And we had another one where he came on and she said, can you support me, please? And he said, no. <laughs> and then they didn't say anything and they just they didn't look at each other they didn't say anything for the rest of the time out and then he jogged off <laughs> and that was it couldn't believe it I think I've got that about right I didn't actually do the match so um I just kind of was catching up on this but I just found it incredible I just thought why did you why did you go on I mean in terms of you might get fired for bad behaviour or like for not acting right if you don't go on the court surely going on and saying nothing is basically the same <laughs> it's yeah it, it it's it's a weird one it, it was it was just funny that people had sort of clipped up this bit of <laughs> he was crouched down <laughs> saying nothing and she was saying nothing I mean I, look at the on-court coach I know there's still the debate people like it or don't like it I I find it fascinating from a media point of view you get arguments when you've got the parent of someone coming on and they literally argue with each other Sam Swimmick and Gabina Muguruza have one of the most volatile uh, player coach relationships um, and I think there's been time when he's nearly refused and there's been language used and it's but um what did you did you need a box to be because my favorite is when you look at a box and the player looks over to them and they're not playing that well and they're all looking down at the floor I mean it's brilliant like so there's there's four people in a row they're just looking and they're thinking okay okay when's he going to stop looking I can't look up when's he going to stop looking I just whereas someone like Andy Murray wanted the box to be kind of leaping up and giving him that encouragement did did you need an active box Naomi or did you not mind what your box did I didn't need necessarily an active box but I just wanted a bit of eye contact I think just as a, a bit of grounding a bit of a focus um just somebody to look at somebody a bit of reassurance they just often nod to say something positive didn't really I mean they, they didn't give any information I mean they're not not really allowed well they're not allowed to um and uh, yeah, I mean, just for me, it's just to know that people are there and they're with you, just that sort of reassurance, because sometimes it's really hard to kind of shoulder all of the responsibility in the match because you are on your own and tennis players are so good at it. But sometimes when the stress levels are so high, you just want to palm off some responsibility to somebody else and you just want somebody else to tell you what to do and to start making decisions for you. And we do see that sometimes in the on-court coaching 
and sometimes players are just kind of like, just tell me what to do. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating and it does give a real insight. But that was an extraordinary exchange between Sabalenka and Tersonov. And something must have happened before the match. There must have been some sort of falling out because it really was bizarre. I know she wasn't playing very well, but it was still quite a, a tight match. I mean, she still could have won the match if he had maybe tried to help her through it, but he just wasn't going to. Maybe he just said, nope, do you know what? You're learning this lesson on your own. I'm, I'm not stepping in anymore. But uh, yeah, who knows? We really have no idea. But being a coach is hard. Well, we are, we're, we're sort of together, but we will be completely together the next time we do the podcast because we are Miami tournament bound very soon you excited so excited for a bit of miami can't wait the courts look so good have you seen the courts love the color courts look amazing i mean it looks it's it's fascinating it's the home of the miami dolphins it's the hard rock stadium and apart from the court that's within the stadium where the dolphins normally play that's obviously temporary all the other courts are permanent so you've got this amazing facility now and there's, what, 29 courts or so? Practice and match courts. They're going to be there year round. And then every year they're going to pop this court in the middle of the stadium. Yes. And I've heard from people that uh, are already there and are already playing on the courts that it takes ages to walk anywhere it's there's a it's a very big site so i think the golf buggies might be needing to come out again they've got plenty in miami that's for sure so uh yeah apparently it's a it's a very large site but everybody's saying it's brilliant but just you need to walk a lot and we haven't worked together for a long time is that right does your memory take us can your memory cast it back to when we last worked together uh no <laughs> that seems a fitting way to finish was it was it was it the o2 was it the we, we were together the o2 i remember that see i remember that i just can't remember if we've worked together since then i don't think we have i don't know i chat to you every week so i chat to you every day pretty much so it feels like we actually do. yeah we do it feels like we do but we're actually going to be back in a commentary box together during miami so um i'm looking forward to that I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fascinating. Getting back on the men's will be really interesting because I've been completely consumed by the women's event, which was really, really good. So hopefully the men can have a, an awesome event this time. I mean, it's a shame we don't have Nadal, but I think that's definitely the right decision for him. And I am going to give it my best to do the, the sunshine double and get my plinth with my block of glass. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to us being reunited in the country box. But most of all, hearing Naomi Cavaday's victory speech. She's won one predictions competition. We are now getting a speech. And if you aren't able to tune in when that speech is happening, I'm going to make sure that in next week's podcast that maybe we kind of reenact, we reenact the speech and you can give everybody a little bit of, of how you said your, your victory speech. Okay. Sound good? Yeah, I'm all for victory speeches. I can do one every day. I'm, <laughs> I will be reminding everybody throughout Miami that I'm leading the way oh my. and that I deserve all of the appreciation. Oh, my word. Well, I was about to say I look forward to seeing you in the commentary box, but I'm not so sure now. Um, but, we <laughs> but we will be together. And Nat, thank you for that question. If you'd like to send us questions, Instagram or Twitter, please do so. Um, and also, if you'd like to leave us a review, 
um, because I think I've got through my relatives now leaving reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so if and my children are too young. Well, the annoying thing is, is that we're just followed by a bunch of dogs. They can't leave a review. <laughs> it's really annoying. Followed by a bunch of of actual dogs. My children are too young. I've gone through my relatives. So if you if if if, if you're a human of the age where where you where you can do this kind of thing, if you'd like to leave us a review, that'd be great. And also and also any questions. And so until name until Miami. Yes. See you in Miami. Bye. Bye.